Hello, and welcome to the Island Stories podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Hadfield. If you love the Isle of Wight, or like many, you dream of living here one day and want a slice of island life, this is the podcast for you. Every season, we speak to amazing islanders, each with an extraordinary story to tell. So let me introduce this week's guest, Leighton Atchison Warren, who's been described to me as a marketing genius with a great backstory. He worked for more than a decade at Liz Earle before moving on to create Nature's Journey, a beauty and lifestyle brand he co-founded last year, which fascinatingly uses the power of CBD to turbo boost many of its products. Leighton, welcome to the podcast. Oh, what an intro. Thank you, Harriet. Great to be here. <laughs> OK, the first question we always ask on the podcast, very simply, why the island? Well, I think for me, it's sort of more why not the island? I was born and raised here. Um, and so I've thought lots of times about moving off and, you know, going to the big wide world. But actually, something's always just kept me here. What do you think that is? I don't know. I think, you know, I come from a long line of family members who have lived here and put down roots here. And I think I, it does genuinely feel like home. And I think I spent so much of my career being off of the island that, you know, that whole thing when you come back and you get off of the hovercraft or the ferry and your shoulders drop and you walk a bit toward and you walk a bit slower, in, you know, interestingly as well. I think it's just that charm that's kept me here. Tell us about your island life. Where do you live? Who do you live with? So I now live in Sandown, which is interesting because it's not an area that I've never ever really considered living in. Uh, but I found the perfect home. And so I've been living there for about 18 months now. And it's just me and my boyfriend, Neil, and our little dog, Bertie, who's actually probably going to feature quite a lot in this episode, I must warn you, <laughs> but into my dog. Uh, and so, yeah, we've got a lovely house. We're near to the beach. We can be at the beach in a few minutes, which is, which is fantastic. And it's, it's interesting because that side of the island was not an area that I really knew, even though I've lived here forever. I mean, I absolutely love Sandown. Yes. I write about Sandown all the time, created a hashtag shout about Sandown yes, because exactly. it's such a shame. It is, I think, the best urban beach on the South Coast. It's really pretty. And yet so run down. I mean, how much have you sort of got involved in that, been thinking about that? You must yes, do if you live definitely. There. I think, you know, I'm, I would say I'm also a retailer as well as a marketeer. Um, and for me, I find it very sad when you drive through the high street. There was once in my childhood when you used to go to the beach, you know, it'd be bustling with lovely beach shops and cafes and, and ice cream stalls and things. And now it's just very run down. And I, I do find it very sad. And I think, you know, the Bay has got this wonderful appeal to it and a really lovely community, which I wasn't actually expecting. Um, but I think there's, you know, there's definitely a need for, for a bit of regeneration there, for sure. Just putting your kind of marketing retail hat on. Yes. What would your vision be for Sandown? I feel like Sandown could be a mini Brighton. I mean, you could just have this wonderful collection of everything and anything, basically. Lovely shops, lovely, you know, lovely lifestyle stores, wonderful jewellers, you know, really beautiful little small ma independent makers, you know, sort of, you know, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, literally. Uh, I think that Sandown could really honestly be a contender to be a, a South Coast gem, just like Brighton. And it could be full of young professionals. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think one thing I find really, really tricky about living there is that I'm a, a nomad when it comes to work. I don't have an office, purposefully don't have an office. And so when I used to live uh, more centrally, I used to you know, go to a cafe or a bar. And there isn't really anywhere in Sandown or Shanklin that I can do that. I mean, it's, it's lovely to go to Finns, for example, and work, but you do yeah, rather get beach. blue fingers up for a while. Yeah. <laughs> in the winter, it's not so good. Yes, I think that's that's exactly the problem that I found as well. But I do love going down to Finns and yes. also the coffee bubble down on, yes, on so the beach. Um, you said you live with your partner, Neil. Yes. Tell me about him. How long have you been together? Where oh, my goodness. Me. Well, we've been together for it'll be 20 years next year, actually. We met when we were quite young. 
it's just one of those relationships that just works. You know, we sort of just get each other. And I don't like it when people say, oh, he's my best friend and he's my soulmate and all these things. I find it a little no, bit trite. I don't like I that I hate either. it. But yeah. actually, it's quite true with him. <laughs> he, he sort of uh, keeps me grounded. He understands me. I always say he's my kind of biggest cheerleader and my harshest critic in one. And so I can never get away with anything uh, with him. He'll always sort of hold me to account. But it just works. And I think, you know, we've been very lucky to... Uh, to find each other and to share the same sort of vision for life, really. Last time I bumped into you was on Sandown Beach. Yes, And yes. you had a little friend with you. I did. <laughs> yes, yeah, so Bertie. So uh, he is, we don't have children. We don't plan to ever have children. And I've always sort of wanted a dog, but, you know, work got in the way. And uh, so we decided just before lockdown, actually, to to kind of take the plunge and get a dog and of course everyone rushed to get a dog during lockdown and I didn't really agree with that but we were certainly ahead of the curve there (laughs) and and he arrived just after lockdown we had to go in that little period in between where you're allowed to do a few things but not everything we had to go and pick him up from the um, from the breeder and he's certainly become you know such a joyful part of of our everyday life really he he just brings a sort of um, I don't know a security to home. I think when when you don't have children, you don't have those natural distractions that you as a mother, you know, you, know, yeah. we, we just saw your child <laughs> screaming the house down before. Dog, her. Yes. <laughs> and uh, you know, and I think it, it gives you some kind of purpose, you know, to, yeah. and, and some shapes your day. You have to go for a morning walk. I've become one of those people that I always really envied who gets up early and gets out and gets some fresh air. And I would never have done it without a dog. I'd have been snoozing still till seven at least. Yeah, that purpose, I think, yes. is a great thing that dogs give you. Music. Mm. I know that that's sort of, you know, one of your passions. It is, yes. Yeah, so music was, I think, as a child, I was never, never ever into sort of video games or uh, riding my bicycle or anything. It just wasn't that kind of child. Um, but music was the thing that really floated my boat. And so I learned the saxophone and the clarinet when I was very young. And then I begged my parents to buy me a piano. And they said, well, you can't play the piano. We're not going to buy you a bloody piano if you can't, uh, you know, if you can't play it. <laughs> it's we're a not bit chicken buy and you egg one. there, isn't Yes. It? And I said, well, I can play the piano because I can read music. And, you know, anyway, we happened to be in, uh, in Busy Bee in the garden centre. They don't sell pianos. No, they don't. Bee. But it was, this is in the old days when they had the previous Busy Bee. It was a bit smaller and a bit kind of knocked around. Right. And it was Christmas. And they had a piano as part of their Christmas display. <sighs> and there's a big sign, you know, do not touch. So, of course... I touched it and I sat down and I played a piece of music. My mother was about to go crazy and then realised I could play the piano. And, uh, and so Father Christmas somehow managed to get one down the chimney for us that yeah. year, which was very nice of him. It's <laughs> um, a big stocking so, Yeah, exactly. But it's always been part of my life. And actually, I lost my mother a couple of years ago. And uh, my father very kindly gave my brother and I some money from her estate. And so the first thing I did was went and bought myself a new piano. And it's now proudly sat in my house and I play it every day and think of, think of her. Fantastic. I want to talk about nature's journey because this is how I met you. Um, You were doing a special event with the brand in Cows at Jack Thompson, which is a fantastic interior shop. Yes, yes. And you were sort of doing a kind of almost like a show and tell with Mm. a group of people. I was so struck by your passion for it, your knowledge about it. I mean, if you could explain what nature's journey is all about, Mm How would you do that? Well, I mean, it's multifaceted, but at its very core, it's a range of really simple, really effective, really affordable skincare and aromatherapy. And the sort of backstory, if you like, behind the brand is that I wanted to create a range that I call an antidote for modern living. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're all 
working longer hours, but we're more stressed. We're all, you know, feeling the kind of stresses and strains of, of modern life. And actually just a few moments with these products every day actually really does help to boost your sort of well-being. So I've got some of the products because I fell in love with them. And I've got, I think, a face oil. I've got yes. a pillow mist, yes, which pillow I mist. love. My goodness, it's the um, best. And also aromatherapy. What, the rollerball, yes. The rollerball, yes. Yeah. Yes. So my kids really love them as yes. well. And the spray is really lovely. And that mm. is infused with CBD. It so, is, yeah. So it's fascinating because I've worked in natural beauty for most of my career. And I've always been aware of CBD. But unfortunately, it does have a sort of a... A shady reputation, shall we say, because it has obviously has associations with marijuana, which, you know, obviously has psychoactive uh, properties and gets you high. And so people are always a bit sensitive about, oh, my goodness, CBD. Am I going to use my eye cream and, you know, and fail a drugs test? But, you know, CBD is fantastic. It has, you know, it's kind of more recently become popular and sort of notable. But actually, it's been used for centuries. It's in traditional pharmacopoeia. CBD has always been um, been a really good ingredient to use. And it has sort of various different properties, really. Most people, I think, listening to the podcast will be familiar with perhaps taking CBD ingested, uh, as an ingestible. So taking CBD drops um, mm-hmm. or maybe a CBD vape, that kind of thing. And when you inhale CBD, it has very calming, very, almost sedative um, uh, properties. So if you suffer with anxiety or stress or chronic pain. I have a friend who has Parkinson's who takes it right. for the shakes and yes, it's really effective. Exactly. So it's sort of a bit more known about in, in the kind of ingestible arena, but from a skincare point of view, um, it has fantastic properties. So it um, helps to regulate sebum production. Sebum is, if you're, if you're not sure, sebum is the natural oil we have in our, in our skin. So if you have a really oily skin type, it's because your sebaceous glands are overactive. So they're constantly trying to keep your skin uh, produced, uh, kind of supplied with oil. Um, and if you have dry skin, conversely, it's because your sebaceous glands aren't active enough. So it's really good at helping to regulate sebum production. So if you have really oily skin, it helps to make your skin more balanced. If you have really dry skin, it helps to make it a bit more supple. So that's kind of number one. Number two is it has natural anti-inflammatory properties. So if you have an inflammatory skin issue like uh, eczema or psoriasis or rosacea, often pregnant women suffer with rosacea. You get this kind of terrible redness across your cheeks and it can be really, really painful, intensely itchy. And CBD is fantastic at addressing uh, that issue as well. So there are, you know, there are lots of um, different ways that it can sort uh, sort of help, but really the magic comes from blending it with other ingredients that have powerful properties as well and it sort of works as a bit of a um, an antidote to some of some other ingredients that can be a bit sensitizing it's a fantastic ingredient to use in in skincare but going back to the pillow mist that you mentioned Mm. it's sort of a hybrid because you're actually inhaling the cbd as part of that kind of blend of you know spraying it around your your bedroom or your you know um kind of uh, bathroom or wherever and just helping you to get ready for for sleep and it's, it's fascinating. I had a letter just yesterday, honestly, you could not make this up. You know, it's just perfect timing from a lady who, you know, said, oh, please don't mention my name, but you can share my story. And she was saying to me that she, for years, has been going through menopause. She had perimenopause. Now she's in kind of full on proper menopause and just can't sleep just absolutely has the worst insomnia she lays there all night she then worries about the fact that she's not sleeping because she has to go to work tomorrow and yeah. it becomes cyclical doesn't it you sort of you know Vicious then just cycle. get yourself really worked up and somebody bought her the pillow mist at an event that we that we had recently 
And she said, I just can't thank you enough. I've slept like a baby for the last six days and I just can't believe it. And I just wanted to say how amazing this product is. And I thought, goodness me, that is why I have sleepless nights trying to run a business <laughs> is to make people actually, you know, see the benefit of this, uh, of this ingredient. Now, I want to talk more about CBD a little bit later in the podcast yes. and just look at what the future for it is in this country. But in terms of nature's journey, you're obviously heavily involved with the retail, the products, mm, but mm. also the marketing. Yes. The strap line is wellness for the modern generation. Yes. What, is, what does that mean? Well, I think, you know, it's interesting because the beauty industry in particular has become sort of well-versed at selling a blend of false claims in a bottle, basically, for, you know, for a lot of money. <laughs> and we've all fallen for it, actually. The modern consumer is way more savvy. You know, there's this whole term greenwashing, which I'm sure we're very familiar with. Yeah. Um, and the beauty industry is the worst for it, pretending that something is, uh, is more natural than it is. And I'm, I'm not sure this would be widely known to, to listeners, but, you know, with, um, with skincare formulations, it's actually far easier to, or it used to be at least, far easier to sort of misrepresent things. So, for example, you could put the tiniest amount of organic aloe vera into a product and then call that product an organic product. Right. Uh, and, so know, it doesn't have to be completely no, organic. not at all. And so, you know, people are getting really misled, paying a fortune for these creams. So by wellness for the modern generation, it's sort of twofold. One is that it's clean. What I mean by that is we're not using any artificial ingredients. We're not using any nasty ingredients mm. or contentious ingredients. It's ethical. So we decided very early on, I think almost on kind of day two, that we wanted to be certified vegan, certified cruelty free, and we wanted to become a B Corp. Not because it's the trendy thing to do, but because it's the right thing to do. And modern consumers look for those as sort of hallmarks of, of quality and, and trust. But then the other side of things comes back to what I was saying just now. The other reason behind wellness for the modern gen generation is that actually we're living in a really tough world right now. And, you know, I'm sure our parents and our grandparents would say they had it worse than us. But, you know, we're sort of always connected. You know, we were yeah. talking, you know, last evening. That was part of our working day. And it was, you know, I was cooking supper and you were doing the kids and we yeah. were still working at, you know, half past seven in the evening. And that shows. It shows on your skin. It shows in your body. It shows in your overall sort of um, wellness. And so we kind of called it wellness for the modern generation because it's all about really giving this generation what they really need. And that sort of ethical, sustainable thing, when I look at your website, that mm. really shines through. Yes. And the Bead Corp is obviously an important part. I think for yes. people who don't know what a B Corp is, can you just explain yeah, it? Yes, so B, the B means benefit, benefit corporation. They're just called B Corps nowadays. It's I think like it's a the, terrible name. Yeah, but, it is a dreadful but, yeah. name, but you know, great, <laughs> a great uh, initiative nonetheless. <laughs> um, and really, B Corps are businesses that commit to the highest level of ethical and sustainable practice in, in their everyday business. And it's really how every business should be. And I think for us as a startup, it was sort of easier in some ways because you can design your business to to fit that model. Whereas if you're a 150-year-old brand, it's probably more, more difficult to then go back and retrofit some of those good practices onto, onto your business. Yeah, so how long have you been going? Where are you based? Your island based, which is so fantastic. Yes, yeah. So we've been company if you like for about three years now but we've only been live to the to the real world for the last 12 months and yes we, ch we chose the island mainly because I live here and as I said earlier we're a nomadic team so we can kind of work from anywhere and we very much encourage that it's one of the principles of our businesses that we didn't believe in burning our carbon footprint to travel to the same office to sit with the lights on and the heating on and all that stuff yeah. just to be together when we can be on you know we, we started during the kind of back end of the pandemic so we kind of had to get used to being remote and being on Zoom and being on Teams and all of those other platforms. And so the Isle of Wight really was a decision that I made because I live here and, and some of my team 
um, live here as well. But some of the rest of the team live in the Cotswolds, some in London, um, some actually in uh, in our uh, growing fields in Arizona. So, you know, it's, it's kind of much easier to do everything remotely in that respect. And how many people do you employ at the moment? So there's just three employees currently, but we've got a really good team of freelancers and, uh, and kind of agencies that work with us as well. I really wanted to keep, you know, I think particularly in today's kind of world, you have to really keep an eye on the P&L. That's mm. the boring business part of things. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't want to have a really top heavy structure where we had lots of employees because, you know, we're a startup and anything can happen. So we have, you know, really good partners that we can turn on and off as we need to, which works really well for us. And you're a startup, but you're a startup with incredible investment. Yes, we are. We're very lucky. And it was very much a pinch me moment, really, because I've, I've always had this feeling that I could create a really good brand, but I've never really had the courage, if you like, to lose my own pension <laughs> by misinvesting <laughs> or, or sort of getting it wrong and so it was really it was absolute serendipity really I kind of got introduced to, to some people who are now great friends and, and my co-founders and they work for you know, huge companies with great uh, investment opportunity and they said well how about it let's let's do it and I thought my goodness there has to be a catch here somewhere but hmm. I've, I've not yet found the catch so hopefully that will continue to be the case. So one of the things that I always do on the podcast is speak to somebody Mm. who knows you. Right, yes. Um, And as I mentioned in the introduction, and we'll talk about it a bit more later on, you worked for Lazelle for a very long time. Now, one of the the brains behind Lizelle was Kim Buckland. Yes. So I had a very lovely chat with her. She lives in Bembridge now. So she's still based on the island. And she just said how you are just such a lovely man. So I thought that was, that was very kind. But in terms of your business sense, your marketing sense, here's what she said. He's really clever at understanding people. So for all the time I've known him in business, he just thinks like the customer. It's always about what is someone looking for. You don't sell what you can make. You make what you can sell. When you look at his product range, he's so connected to the island. And he's always thinking about who it's for and what they might want. Everyone else is trying to do that. It just comes to him very naturally. (laughs) That's very kind of her, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, she was such an inspiration, I think. And, you know, she was always very purposefully the sort of, if you like, silent partner in that business. You know, Liz being the sort of name on the bottle made it, made it more about her in some ways. But I learned so much from her. And I always say this to people because they say, well, you know, you were really junior when you started there. How did you end up being a senior, you know, senior manager when you left? And it wasn't because we had an amazing sort of, you know, development program or great training mm-hmm. budget or anything. It was just because it was a small business and everyone sort of just mucked in and got on with it. My mother's from a military background and I've always had this sort of work ethic that, you know, you go out and you do it and you don't come home until you've got the, you know, got the badge kind of thing. And so that's how I approached my career at Lizelle. I started relatively young man in a relatively junior role and I just, I was just a sponge and you know, I, I used to always just love spending time with Kim. So it's really rather surreal to hear her saying those <laughs> words back. When she says that you create products for people, is that is that she says it comes naturally? Is yes. it something you're doing consciously? I, th- I think it does come naturally to me. And I think the difference for me is that I'm not uh, sort of traditionally kind of classically trained marketeer. I've kind of learned a lot on the job. I've, re- I've retrained in my adulthood alongside working full time, which has been quite, quite challenging. But for me, I sort of think marketing isn't actually difficult if you believe in the product that you're creating and if it actually does genuinely address a need that the consumer is looking for. You always have to be a bit strategic, right? So you have to have a plan. You need to know what your end game is. But when we were developing the Nature's Journey range, when I first sort of came on board with the others, there were some formulations that they had already worked on with, with a company. And I just looked at them and said, well, I'm, you know, these are not 
these are not the formulas. You know, they, they're dreadful. But frankly, they just weren't doing, they weren't, you know, they weren't bad, but they weren't good. They were just sort of vanilla. And he wants to buy a vanilla product, right? And so I went back to, well, what's missing from my bathroom cabinet? What do I really need? What do I really want to uh, use that doesn't exist? And that was my sort of inspiration for my closest girlfriends are always very, very happy because I always share lab samples with them. Like, you know, can you try this face oil and can you try this serum or what do you think of this eye cream or whatever else? And really only when they give it the seal of approval do I then think, okay, let's think about this more sort of, you know, more commercially. It has to be a conscious decision to some extent, but I think the sort of process does come relatively naturally to me. So you've got the three strands in terms of the smells. Yes. So there's revive, restore and relax. Yes, yes. And you've been absolutely integral in those, haven't you? Yes, definitely. I mean, I I think that... You know, aromatherapy is something that I came to relatively late in my career. Um, so far, I should say. I mean, I'm not quite 40 yet, so I'm not yet retiring. Um, <laughs> but uh, but aromatherapy was something that really fascinated me. I never really made the connection between sort of smell and where the, where the smells come from. And I can always remember my grandmother had the most amazing rose garden in her house. She had a lovely little cottage. And I remember always smelling the roses and being obsessed with them. And funnily enough, my favourite essential oil is Rose Absolute. Um, so it's clearly a childhood sort of memory that's locked in there somewhere. They do say, don't they, that smell can really trigger Yeah, because it goes straight emotions. to be a bit geeky. It goes straight to your what's called your limbic system, which is the part of your brain that can recall a time or a moment. So that's when you sometimes you smell an aftershave that reminds you of an old boyfriend and you think, oh my goodness, get me out of this place. You know, you feel, you see red because you're kind of remembering that yeah. ex-boyfriend or whatever. And equally, <laughs> you know, the smell of, you know, uh, the smell of, I don't know, roast, roast dinner might make you mm. think of childhood at home or the smell of freshly baked bread or whatever it might be it goes straight to your brain it's the quickest sort of um uh, response that you can get but going back to the three blends we, we we did those because um i kind of think that you know we all we all deal with stress in different ways and you know and emotional kind of issues in different ways some of us become very introverted very you know very within ourselves Others just want to talk about it and get it off their chest. That's and scream me. And, you know, <laughs> say all sorts of things. And others just need to go to bed and just, you know, forget about it and, and let the day go. And so we have Restore, we have Revive and we have Relax. And those three blends um, are purposely blended to, to really help with whatever, whichever one of those three moods you want to sort of create. Restore is my favourite one. I'm Revive, so what yes. does that mean? Well, Revive is, I think... And you were sort of nodding when we were talking about somebody that wants to kind of, you know, talk it out. And is speak. that the connection? And revive is that it's like you need a bit of an energy boost and you need to keep going because you can't stop now. In our shop, The Halland, we've started stocking your candles yes. in the last couple of weeks. And as part of that, we wanted to always have a smell in the gallery. Mm. So that was partly why you and I kind of got together and talked yes. about doing it as a partnership. And we have people coming in to the shops mm. going, what's that smell? Yes. Almost immediately. Yes. So... That's a great thing as well, isn't it, for people to be able to associate your smells, your products. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I always say this, and, you know, one of my um, passions is sort of brand development and brand identity and that kind of thing. And I always say, you know, a brand isn't just the logo, it's everything about Mm -hmm. it. You know, if that brand was a person, what would it look like? What would it feel like, et cetera? And, you know, with beauty, you obviously have to think about what that brand smell like. Is it a really sort of cloying, heavy fragrance? Is it something sort of more um, more oriental? You know, is it something that's quite fresh? And so with the Nature's Journey range, you know, there is a kind of, there's a sort of golden thread that goes through all of the products that smell similar. So there is that kind of common thread throughout the range. And people say, oh, yeah, it's really, I love that smell. It's, people always say, oh, yes, it smells like a spa. But I kind of like them because they're not, you can't smell one of our fragrances and say, oh, yes, that's lavender or that's frankincense. It's just a really lovely 
you yeah, know, you can't blend. put your finger on it. No. And I think that's why it becomes such a talking point in the shop. Yes. Is people are like, what is it? What's yes. in it? And that's uh, that's a fantastic thing. The, the packaging and the branding, I yes. have to say, you have completely nailed it. And that's what I thought. That the, that's what I thought the first time I saw the products. You know, it is clean, fresh, yes. modern. Yes, definitely. Well, I think, you know, often... You know, we, we do buy with our eyes. There's no there's no escaping that. But you know, for a for a little while, um, luxury was sort of um, defined by excessive packaging and ribbons and boxes and all these yeah you know, maddening. Actually, I think it's more about what's in the jar. And you know, one thing I was really really keen about with Nature's Jenny is that you should be able to you know afford to to buy it often. You know, there's no point having a moisturizer that you keep for best in the bottom drawer because it's so expensive that you can't afford to use it. And so we made some choices to not have those sort of frills, if you like, with our packaging. But actually, we've, we've designed it in a way that doesn't feel like you're missing out. It still feels really luxurious. It still feels like a pampering kind of experience. But it doesn't feel like you're being wasteful. And, you know, the packaging is glass. And, you know, amber glass is important as well because it helps protect the product against light and other things that can oh, wow. degrade the formulations. So it means we can use less preservatives in our, our skincare as well, which is also really helpful. And all the kind of packaging and distribution magic happens in a very understated place of yes, life. Yes, yes. I mean, <laughs> yes. I mean, it's not not exactly the uh, sort of um, beauty capital of the, uh, of the UK. It's fun. I don't know, it's a though, with Lizelle there as well. <laughs> yes. But yes, yeah. it's a functional space. But again, we're really lucky to have you know have access to uh, to warehousing, and it means that we can you know we can uh, dispatch everything ourselves. Lots of companies nowadays rely on drop shipping and third party logistics, and that you know one of the things that I'm obsessed with is attention to detail. Everything matters, and I think the minute you let go of you know some of that control. You were letting go of the attention to detail and you can't afford to do that as a new brand and so yeah we do everything from there we've got you know we've got sarah and anna who are charlie's angels for yeah, me they're, they very really, lovely. they're just amazing and they sort of catch everything that i drop um and uh, yeah and we we distribute things from there to our retail customers but also to our wholesale as well i was going to ask is it a problem being on the island in terms of your distribution well it's more expensive uh, of course so you know getting things onto the island from our you know from our kind of manufacturers and our suppliers to then get them you know turned around and sent back out to customers does add some complexity but you know i think it's worth it actually you know and and equally it is maybe less so nowadays than it once was but it's still much more cost efficient to run a business on the island than it is to do the same in london yeah know? that's a good point isn't you it? Know? so there's sort of i guess pluses and minuses to it but on the whole i think it's a pretty good place to to call home Okay, normally I'd say let's go back to life before living on the island, but you are the second person I've had already on season three where I have to say you've always yes, been here. Yes. So born and bred here, three generations of dairy farmers. Yes, I know. I, I'm afraid I broke the chain there. <laughs> I, mean, I, I like getting up early, but I think 3am to milk the cows is, is pushing it. But, uh, but yeah, so on my father's side, three generations of the, of the Warren family, they were an East Cow's... Um, uh, East Cow's uh, farmers and they were, were dairy farmers. My grandfather got into a lot of trouble once I found out. I was talking to my father last night getting some fact checking and he was telling me that my grandfather once got in trouble because he uh, would put gold top on milk that wasn't gold top. And he, you know, th these are the days before trading standards, of course, but he uh, he got into a rather lot of trouble for that. For... <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. So that's quite funny. Uh, so yeah, we, we grew up in East Cow's. Did um, you grow up on a farm? 
I didn't. My dad did. Um, I didn't grow up on a farm, thank goodness. I only had the last five minutes, to be honest. I'm You're not, not the farming No, kind. not really. I you mean, don't I, give off farming No, parts. I've got my hunters, but they're very much, you know, pristine <laughs> and clean and they're for the beach, really. Um, so, yeah, I'm not really much of a farmer. But, you know, but we used to go to the farm at the weekends and I remember helping my grandpa with the the hay, you know, the hay bales and oh, things wow. and, and doing harvest. And, you know, I was always rather more interested in feeding the horse polos than I was doing any work. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. You were born in St Mary's. I was. Uh, December the 6th, 1984, which makes yes. you a little bit younger than me, which exactly. is maddening. And at the time of recording, it's, you know, less than a week to my birthday, just, just so you know. <laughs> and you're going to be at the big 4-0. No, I'm 39 this year. I've got uh, okay. one more, one more okay. to go. It's so my last my of the 30-something. My bad on the maths. Yeah. Okay. Well, 40 is good. Life begins I'm at 40. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Well, my life certainly began at 40. <laughs> you lived in East Cows, as you said, mm. uh, and went to live in Northwood. Yes. So where did you go to senior school? So I went to what was Cowes High School. I think it's now Cowes Enterprise College. And yes. It's been knocked down since I went there. But I went to Cowes High School um, and we moved to Northwood because my, my mother by that point was getting really rather unwell. So they had to sort of downsize to a bungalow so that she was able to live more independently. So we moved to Northwood. I only really lived with them for probably about another, I suppose, two years or so. And I moved out on my own after that. But yeah, I always very much grew grew up there, and I was, you know, on the east side of the river, and then I moved to the to the west side, the cool side, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> University. I know this was a bit of a contentious one with your parents. Yes. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because I think I I enjoyed school, and uh, funny enough, I was looking at some of my old school reports the other day, and it's <laughs> it said something. I'm mildly paraphrasing here but it said something like if Leighton was as you know disciplined at doing his homework as he was at telling jokes then he'd be a star (laughs) student and I don't know why she said that of course but um I enjoyed school and I was one of those I think annoying children I didn't really have to try very hard but I did quite well but music was always my thing drama and funny enough business studies were my favorite subjects and I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I applied for, for uni as you're sort of, you know, encouraged to do. Really. I got a, an unconditional offer to Chichester to do music. I thought, I just don't want to go. And I spent the whole, you know, period between getting my results and when I should be going to university panicking, thinking, how on earth do I tell my parents? If we're not a university family, I'd, I would have been the first person in, in my family to go to university. And so it was quite a talking point with the mm. neighbours, right? That, you know, Leighton's <laughs> going to university. I remember going home one day and saying, Mum, I'm really sorry, I, did, I just don't want to go to university. And she certainly ruled with an iron fist, my mother. And she just said, well, you better go and get a job then. And it was the end of the conversation. But she often let it be known that, you know, I could have gone to university and I could be earning this much money and I could be doing this. And, you know, and she never really, I mean, obviously she's not here anymore, but uh, she never once told me that she was proud but she would tell everybody else that she was. And it used to really frustrate me because I would see, you know, one of her friends and she'd say, oh, your mother was saying about this. And mm. she's super proud, but she never mm. once told me because I think she saw that as almost being a bit boastful. Um, and, and also going back on her kind of disappointment for me not going to uni. What happened to your mum? She was very poorly for a very long time. She had incredible health issues and she faced them with you know, absolute courage. Um, but she just became more and more unwell. She was very very badly diabetic and lost her eyesight um i don't know probably 15 years ago completely lost her eyesight in fact didn't have uh, didn't have her eyes eventually and that was very tough she was disabled my father cared for her for 
a number of years while he worked full time as well, which um, you know was I can't imagine the stress. That he worked at um, GK and didn't he? He did, space, yes, yeah. yeah. He worked there from literally from a, an apprenticeship right through to wow. when he retired. So he, um, yeah, he had rather colourful stories to tell me about about the past. But she became progressively unwell, and she was admitted to hospital during the pandemic. It wasn't to do with COVID, but it was during yeah. that time. And that was the thing that's very, very hard because, of course, you couldn't you couldn't yeah. go into the hospital. And so we basically had the news over the telephone that we, you know, you need to come. You know, the, the crazy thing was I could once she had passed away, I could go and see her in the hospital, which I found I still find very hard to that doesn't get my head around. Sense, you know, yeah. And so she passed away in 2020, um, and she was just 60. So I think that's why mm. edging towards 40 myself next year, I'm looking forward to it because I think, mm. well, gosh, you know, my mother only had 20 years on that and, you know, I've still got a lot to say and lots to do. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I, I miss her a lot, but, I, but actually she is in my everyday, every single day I think of her or I, or, um, or something will happen that makes me kind of refer to her. She had a great sort of, uh, she was a great orator. So she had lots of kind of good phrases that she would say and lots of things that she would, um, uh, yeah, that she would kind of repeat to me and they've stuck in my head for a while. You said she never said <clears throat> that she was proud of you. Mm. What do you think she'd make of what you're doing with Nature's Journey? I think she'd be, yeah, I think she'd be one of those people that would be super proud about it. But she would also, be, like I said earlier, you know, she she would be critical as well. She would she would kind of point out the flaws in things and she would say, well, I'm not sure about this or I don't like that. Liz Earl, when mm. did you land up at Liz Earl? Because your mum said you've got to go to work. Yes. And... You worked? Well, there was a bit of time before that, but I worked um, at a place called Joda Flows, which proper Isle of Whiters will remember. I Maybe worked do. there too. You did, yes. When did, <laughs> what years were you there? Um, it would have been, it was my, yeah, after I left school, so 1999, okay. that summer. So a bit before me. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, Just before the millennium. I mean, it was the place to work. It was, it was the place to be, wasn't oh, it? I was terrible at it. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I broke more glasses than I probably served. <laughs> do you know, I loved it. And I think, funny enough, that's one of those places where I learned attention to detail because the guy who sadly he passed away actually but the guy who owned uh Jada Flays, a guy called ian was just so fastidious and i remember he used to sit at the bar smoking this is in the days when you could of yeah, course. course and he would leave a cigarette in in the ashtray and then he'd move along to another another um stool and he'd put another <gasps> cigarette and i said to him one day why do you keep lighting these cigarettes and he said because i want to see whether you tidy them away and that was his little test to see whether we were on the on the button with with uh, you know standards. I do remember it being quite sort of draconian. Producer yes. Alex is kind of looking at me, going, "What's that?" Of course, he's too young. Oh gosh! To remember <laughs> Joe De Flo's, which was an institution on Union Street in Rye. It really Rye. was. I mean, originally, obviously, it was owned by Mark King, and then and then the guy that I worked for bought uh, bought it and and opened another one in in Newport. What yes. happened to Joe De Flo's in the end? I, don't, I think it just you know it was sort of of its time, but I think it sort of failed to keep up with you know. With, with and it was changing. the place to be. It really was. And I can remember people would fill up and say, can I get a table for Saturday? And you'd say, well, not this Saturday or the one after or the one after, but maybe the one after that you might be able to squeeze you in. You know, it was it was, it was was a cool place. And Neil, my other half, had had already gone to work for Lizelle. He'd been working there for about, I think, two years or so. And he said, look, you know, I think you should apply for this job. You know, I think working in a bar is sort of a young person's game, isn't it? You get to kind of like you're kind of 20s and you want to be the other side of the bar really rather than serving people that <laughs> yes. are, you know, drunk. And so he said, I think you should apply for this job. You know, you wouldn't have to work weekends. You wouldn't have to work evenings. It's a really cool company. And so I sort of went along not expecting to get a job because I you know, didn't really have any career experiences when I was working in a bar. And but I think what, what attracted them to me was 
was the my service ethic and the fact that I do always put the customer kind of front of mind. And you always clear away the ashtray. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's rule 101, right? Yeah. <laughs> Running a business. And so I went to work there. So I was still relatively you know, young. and It was quite a small team then as well, wasn't it? It was. I mean, I think there was, I don't know, probably 150 of us or so at the time. And so it was quite exciting because, you know, that it was really in its heyday. It was still privately owned back then. They'd sort of gone through the growing pains and they're starting to, you know, get through the other side, really. And you work your way through right up to the top. I mean, it's an amazing story later. Yes. Yeah, it's fascinating. I think at the time you don't really think about it, do you? You know, kind of just yeah. get your head down and, and kind of get on with it. But when I look back now, some of the experiences that I had and some of the things I was involved in, it's, you know, you sort of hardly believe it happened to you. Do you know what I mean? You kind of have to really think, gosh, did I really do that? Or is it, have I just read it? somewhere but I worked across so many different areas of the of the business so I started in customer service which um, which was a sort of natural progression really from the work I'd been doing in the in the sort of bar and that was fascinating because for the first time I realized the power that a brand can have to bring people together and I say women because generally speaking the beauty industry is female oriented luckily it's getting better and more diverse you know this was a brand that women bonded over and one of my first experiences and I was probably 21 at this time I should think one of my first experiences was going to the Chewton Glen Hotel for a, for a talk that Liz was giving to women. And the screen went on and, and the headline came up and I nearly fell off my chair because it said, me and my menopause. <laughs> and I thought, my goodness me, what on earth am I going to say to this group of <laughs> women? I have no idea about menopause. I'm 21, I'm male. You know, I have no idea about how to, to talk about it. But it was just fascinating watching this conversation unfold and people that walked in as complete strangers left having exchanged phone numbers and arranging to go for lunch and they bonded basically over a brand and yeah. that was when I started to think okay there's something interesting with this with this business and I think Liz particularly and the brand was sort of forerunners of things that we're now starting to see have become you know quite zeitgeisty yes. to talk about and not before yes. time I mean talking about menopause talking yes. about periods talking about endometriosis well, and- all this stuff that exactly. women have always kind of gone through in silence definitely and, and also just natural beauty i mean you know, liz would often say and in a slightly trite way i have to say but would often say she was being green before you know when it was still a color rather than a way of life i never really knew what she sort of meant by that but i, yeah. I realize it now actually that you know they were pioneers i think i think it was fascinating and it, and it was long before the sort of influencer sort of lifestyle that we live in now but she was of, of sorts she was an influencer in her own in her own way and i think that's very interesting to see how that approach worked back then and and the loyalty that you can kind of garner by having a face that's recognizable speaking of pioneers and um, yes. the next zeitgeist of beauty yes i do want to talk a bit more about the cbd mm. element because it does feel that cbd is a kind of emerging trend yes. so the last episode of the podcast which i know you've listened I to have, yes. with helena nicklin and she's a drinks expert yes and she was about to write a piece about cbd infused cocktails yes exactly as i said i know someone using it for parkinson's mm. you're putting it in beauty products mm. how much is that sort of image of it as being connected to something that's illegal changing yes. now and how are you seeing that conversation change yeah I, I think the conversation's changing because there's more education now you know people you kind of people fill in the blanks themselves so they don't have the information presented to them and so people often would say you need know, to say oh yes it's a cbd product they say oh gosh is it going to get me high you know is it is it um is it cannabis you know all of these yeah. kind of slightly kind of silly remarks 
But actually, the difference, of course, is that CBD doesn't contain THC, which is the psychoactive compound. Right. So it's impossible. Even if you were to submerge yourself into a swimming pool full of CBD, there's no way you could ever get high. It just isn't possible because that that element, that kind of that constituent of the of the substance is removed. So you can't you know, it's not going to get you high. So there's lots of conversations still having lots of ongoing research. We're incredibly fortunate at nature's journey because we have a lady on our team who's our chief scientific officer um, dr batara and she is honestly the leading voice on cbd probably in the western world she is just incredible she has more patents than i've had hot dinners uh, behind her for all manner of things she worked for the fda in the states the federal drug agency there's nothing she doesn't know she's she's working closely with the home office on how we classify cbd because at the moment it's considered to be neither a, a drug nor a produce uh, yeah nor a yeah. product um, it's what they call a novel food and so there's a whole process going on right now where the food standards authority are sort of publishing a list of products that are approved under their under their guidance mm. and we're very fortunate to be working with them we have every hope that we'll be <laughs> approved under that scheme so just to take that back your my understanding and i've kind of been trying to research this thoroughly yes is that you can't at the moment cultivate so it's the it's products a, that become cbd yeah it's a very it's a very complex um topic i want to try and keep it a bit concise as i yeah, can talk course. for england um but the the thing right now is that you can't at the moment launch a new ingestible product to the market until this list is published because what happened was there were frankly lots of people that were marketing products that weren't even containing cbd they're containing hemp oil which is different Mm. again the same plant different parts and you know people that were under declaring how much cbd was in the product some um some products that weren't tested properly for thc so they did still have some thc in them because Mm. they hadn't been removed properly so cultivation is is quite a big um, issue um, and at the moment it's very you know it's a very challenging place because you can't commercially grow cannabis in the in the UK at the moment so we grow ours in Arizona and California where one of our partner investor companies has been growing for a number of years and uh, they supply pretty much white label CBD to all of the big guys. So there's lots of brands. I won't name check them. I don't think, uh, don't think I'll do that. But um, <laughs> quite a few brands that are really well known. And we, they use our CBD in their formulations as well. So it's an interesting one because there's a, there's a lot to still be done. What's the jeopardy with it? I mean, growing cannabis plants. Mm. So presumably someone could use them nefariously. Yes for another use so yes. it's just in terms of it's a bit of a headache yeah, maybe regulation definitely and, but also there's also the reality that you know is the uk the right place to grow it from a from a climate point of view you know you think about arizona versus uh, you know versus the uk it's pretty decidedly drier well i think if there were a place in the uk where it could be grown well it's true it and, would and be the uh, White. i know helena was saying about you know growing wines yeah and, and actually some very interesting kind of shared shared conditions there so you know a lot more sunshine than anywhere else in the uk just like our tomatoes that we grow here more sunshine the soil is you know particularly in the Ariton valley the, the soil is really rich really organic and really really fertile so arguably it is a brilliant place to grow cbd is the isle of wight ready to open its doors <laughs> to that i'm not quite sure i think you know it's it's possibly a bit too much for our planning officers to deal with but i don't know i mean I, i'm very happy to be proven wrong on that one well, it's a fascinating concept. The final thing I just want to talk to you about mm. is your love of the island. Yes. Because it's another thing that Kim pointed out to me. Mm. She said to me, go and have a look at his Instagram. <laughs> and she said, you'll see every picture is about the Isle of Wight. Mm. His heart is there. You can see how much joy there is. It reflects back at us how we all feel about the island. Mm. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I think when you grow up here, um, you don't really appreciate it, do you? You kind of look around and you think, well, there's, you know, there's no Starbucks, there's no this, there's no that. Where do I go and buy a shirt for <laughs> no a night out? mama. I know, exactly. You know, um, <laughs> so, you know, as a child, you don't really appreciate it. And, you know, being dragged along a coastal path with your parents on a Saturday afternoon was not the thing I wanted to really be doing. I wanted to be back at home playing my saxophone or something. <laughs> but as I've got older, and I think, as I said earlier, you know, I think when I've, I've always travelled a lot with my with my work, you know, often I would come home at the weekend and I would see the island through different eyes, you know. I just love it. I mean, of course there are parts of the island that are a bit dreary, a bit run down, but actually when you go off the beaten track and you're walking along a coastal path or you're sat on the beach or you're having a sundowner after you've got back off the ferry, there honestly is no better place to call home. Okay, so finally on the episode, we ask all our guests a quick fire round of five things about mm-hmm. the island. Yes. Are you ready for your five things? I am ready. Number one, your favourite island restaurant. So my favourite place to go is Coast in Cows because it's just so oh, chilled. Yeah. You know? And the guy, we know the guys there really well and I think they've done a fantastic job with that place and again the attention to detail is amazing are you like me i always get there and i go please sofa be free please yes sofa exactly yes yeah. so let me sit in the, in the window and i will it i manifest <laughs> yes. the sofa yeah. but i love it there because you can go you know often i go in for a coffee between meetings or yeah. we'll share a pizza at the weekend if we're out shopping or you can go with friends and have a really good time and it's just always a lovely vibe there number two your favorite shop independent or not Oh, my favourite shop. Goodness me. Well, again, I think we've been lucky in the last few years that there are some really beautiful shops that are popping up that are yeah. independent. And I think I love independent retail because, of course, you're helping, you know, put money in their pocket rather than yeah. you know, a national or a multinational. But also because you can really get a sense of that person through through what they sell in their store. And I, I know you mentioned them earlier, but one place that's really captured my attention because I love interiors as well as one of my other passions is Jack Thompson. Yeah. I think the guys, I mean, let me just say that two nicer guys you'll never find never i mean it's embarrassing how lovely they are you think when's the facade going to break but it's a beautifully curated collection of lovely homeware things i mean that sounds very sort of generic but you just you kind of i love it when you go into a shop and you find something you didn't even know you needed but now you really want it i mean i go in and i just think i wish my house looked like this (laughs) and it never quite will they have absolutely exquisite taste and of course you can get all of your nature's journey products there so i mean it makes it even better (laughs) (laughs) number three which island charity is closest to your heart well this possibly won't be a surprise based on my earlier uh, conversation but ability dogs for young people is Uh my thing it's the most incredible charity so it's an island charity, and what they do is they train puppies and, and dogs to become um, assistance dogs for people with for young people with disabilities and equal, equally kind of emotional health as well. So if you know if a child has perhaps ADHD or autism or something, then they they train these dogs and they then give these to families um, to to help them. Okay, number four, your hidden gem somewhere specific off yes. the beaten track. Yes, well, I mean there's so many hidden hidden gems on the island, and the problem is the more you talk about them, the less hidden they are. <laughs> Um, but um, there's one place that I just go to completely escape on the island, and that's Newtown. And I just love it there. I think it's an amazing place. It has this magic ability to completely relax me and completely energise me in kind of equal measure. And I think that's really, really fascinating. Number five, what one new thing would you like to see on the island in 10 years' time? Well, I'm not sure it's a new thing, but one thing I feel very passionately about is regeneration. I think it's very hard for me because, you know, you see all the things we've just been talking about, about the island that we love, the landscape, the beaches, the people, the cafes, and then you drive through some parts of the island and it makes me feel really sad and 
really frustrated actually because I think there is a lack of vision of what some of our high streets could be. You look at areas like Benbridge and Cowes and and Ride actually that have smaller independent stores. Mm. They're thriving. They're doing really well. Then you go to our county town and it's like a ghost town. So my my biggest wish really is that in ten years we can do something and maybe there's a coalition to be had here, you know, of of kind of like-minded creative marketeers or whatever on the islands that can come together and help advise. But I really wish that we just had that regenerated sort of retail presence in Newport that it really deserves. Yeah, urban regeneration is something I'm fascinated and and, and really invested in as well. Leighton, thank you so much. It's been amazing to get to know you better and hear your island story. We want to say a quick thank you to our partner, Style of White. Look out for the Island Stories podcast feature in each issue of the magazine during the series. If you want more island news, sign up for my weekly email newsletter at harriethadfield.co.uk. I'm Harriet Hadfield. My producer is Alex Warren. You'll find us on Instagram at Island Stories Podcast. We'll have another episode, another interview, another amazing islander. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>